0: Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast. The beginning of any new endeavor can be challenging. There are unique practices, new language, and so many questions about the way things are supposed to work. This newness can be tricky to navigate, and sometimes downright frustrating. In this series, we'll focus on addressing questions that people who are new to Christianity or are just starting to engage with Scripture might have. We hope these conversations will inspire and encourage you to more fully participate in the kingdom of God. People often say the two topics we should avoid at the dinner table are religion and politics. In this episode, we talk about both. How should a new Christian or an established one think about politics? What does the Bible say about politics, human institutions, and governance? Although religion and politics are often taboo at the dinner table, both mean a great deal to all of us. Sifting through the jargon and the modern propaganda in order to discern how the believing person should best consider politics is an important part of living well.
1: Now this is something that we are told that we should never, ever do in modern society, which is talk about politics or religion, but especially politics and religion. But if you become a new believer... You know and you are really transformed in christ it means you have a particular value set that comes from the bible and it's literally impossible for that not to affect your politics because if you look at what politics actually is politics is how we organize in groups of people to influence other people religion at at its root is defined as how we organize around a set of moral principles so if you think about that, if you do politics without any reference to moral principles, that seems really bad. That's I would call that evil, actually, <laughs> politics with no moral principles. So you really need guiding moral principles in politics. If you're a person of faith, then your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ is going to be there. That's where you're going to get your guiding principles from. So does it affect your politics? Heck yeah, it affects your politics. So what does that really mean? For me, as a person who does politics for a living every day, it had a tremendous effect on how I look at the world, how I see my job, how I interact with other people in the political world. It was all affected by that. In fact, the organization that I formed was built around this concept, that we were gonna do politics, but we were gonna do politics as Christians. We were not doing Christian politics. It's a different thing, I wanna make a distinction. Our organization wasn't set up to, to pursue Christian policies per se. There are organizations that do that. We were doing other political stuff. But, Tim, when you and I founded this up, this is one of the things we talked about. Politics is this mean, nasty, dirty, brass knuckle business. So, we weren't going to do it that way. We are going to do it as Christians in the political arena. So, can you talk about what that means when suddenly now you're a faith person and you're looking at politics?
2: You know, we actually use the word politics. uh, We say like office politics family politics, um, uh, what other way do we use There's it? church politics. In church politics, thank you. Yeah, we've talked about church quite a bit. And when we use that, what we usually mean is when people are organizing and interacting in a negative yeah. self-seeking way. That's how we usually use that. Oh, I
1: hate the politics in church, right? Or something like that.
2: Right. Now when people are functioning in a really constructive way, we typically don't call that politics. That's true.
1: That's really interesting.
2: But it is. Yeah. What, what really proper terminology would be self-seeking, strong exploit the weak politics and self-governing, love your neighbor politics. That, that's really the two right. distinctions, which happens to correspond with the path that leads to life and the path that leads to death that shows up all through the Bible. Right. Um, the uh, Galatians 5 says, uh, use your freedom to make choices constructively. God made you to be free. God gave you these choices. He set you free from sin so you can make choices. Now, you actually are not trapped in the flesh. You have the ability to come apart from it, but you can still choose the flesh. And when you do, you get biting and devouring. Well, that's, that's the part we usually call politics. And, uh, if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you get love as the outcome and choose that instead. That's Galatians five. That's a new Testament book. Okay. So, so the other way we use the word politics is to mean government. Electing officials and and doing things in government. Right now we use it all these different ways. All negative, all negative, and then government. I would say all <laughs> negative when you say government too. But. Well, government has a lot of really positive things right. in it. We got God set up government. God uh, created government for our good, and it's very, very clear why. Without government, without human government, the earth filled with violence. And God had to flood it and start it all over again. And so government's purpose is to use, um, use God gave moral authority to humans to use violence to contain violence. So there's certain kinds of violence that we look at and say that's, that violence has moral authority. The police protecting people, for example. Um, when they do it according to the law, uh, and, uh, there's certain kinds of violence that is not moral. Somebody threatening, uh, to kill someone if they don't shut their business down because they're a competitor. I mean, we'd say that's immoral. So, so government has a really great function. It's a really important thing that humans do together. And it's a, it's an exercise of an authority that God gave to humanity. But we tend to use the word politics because when power happens, it tends to get abused. Uh, So what does that mean? Well, we have some choices to make as Christians. One is to say, well, that is an an arena where bad things happen. Therefore, we're going to withdraw because we don't like bad things. Now, is that anywhere in the Bible where it says, please do not have a positive impact on this particular area of life.
1: <laughs> no, in particular, where there are bad things, we should go in and bring light.
2: That, that you're, we're supposed to be a light on the hill. It doesn't say be salt, except in this area. Or except be, where it's really dark. Except, or be light, <laughs> except when it's really dark. So the, I would actually say any place that you look, whether it's uh, the worst slums, like where M- Mother Teresa did, which I think all of us would look at and say is a stellar example of Christian charity or the halls of power where there's tremendous temptation to use that for ill and everything in between the light of the gospel needs to go and different people are equipped and, and, and gifted to do, you know, different aspects of that.
1: So in other words, you can't find somewhere in Scripture where it says don't get engaged in politics if you're a Christian.
0: <laughs> I keep asking folks
1: that. Literally, have people tell me, "Well, I don't want to be involved in politics. I'm a Christian," mm-hmm. and, and I keep asking, "Well, where is that in Scripture somewhere?" I have. Well, if you,
2: really wanted, if you really want to, if you really believe that, then right. you would get out of church because right, it's full politics. of politics. You would you would uh, um, uh, you would withdraw from your family. Is this full of politics? Your office. You're, you would have to. You would have to go. Yeah, you would have to go off the grid and live. Actually, you'd have to go off the grid and live in the mountains by yourself. By yourself and yeah. And eat pine nuts. Yeah, because you would have to. You would have to wall yourself off from right. all interactions. So I, I think the, I think the important thing to understand about uh, political parties is that they're just addresses. He's like, I I live at a certain address on the street, um, and I live at that address, but it's me that's in there that matters. If I move, the address is still the same. And our two political parties are just addresses. And they change, they change their views over time.
1: So who lives inside the party, the idea set changes. The
2: idea set changes. And so, um, number one. Number two, the, the two parties have, uh, what they have in common is a desire to be in charge. Right. That's, that's the least common denominator that everybody in each party has. And number three, the two parties, w- once they get in power, the people who are in power, the, the, the elected people and the people in power of those parties actually tend to have more in common with each other than they do the rest of us. Right. So, you'll see these parties posture as we're for this and we're for that, and often it's almost like you've got, um, like I would imagine, like uh, the guys who might run a wrestling event or a, or some 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 other sort of
1: staged
2: uh, yeah kind of some combat. kind of a staged combat like okay who's going to win who's going to lose what are we going to say who's going to be the villain who's going to be the hero. What they're actually trying to do is create divisions among the people and the people that are putting out the, we're for the children to end abortion, they could care less about that. They're just trying to get people to come and, and elect them. So, so you have to be, I think, have open eyes about the parties don't actually stand for anything and they stand for themselves being in power. Okay. That's number one. Number two, you have to say, okay, me as a, as a voter, me as an activist, me. so how can I use my voice to go around that system and actually change it where they actually will stand for things that are biblical? So it's very difficult, I think it's very difficult to support things that are unbiblical, but could you still work inside of the Democratic Party? And, and yeah, absolutely. I I work inside the Republican Party. I have tremendous enemies in the Republican Party. They can't stand me because what I try to do is root out hypocrisy uh, And from my perspective. um, The people that don't like me would have a different perspective, obviously. (laughs) Uh, But what what I'm doing is saying, look, you should do what you say you're gonna do. If you say one thing and then do something else, that's corrupt. And the people who want to say one thing and do another do not like that as you, as you would expect. And there's lots of them. Okay. So that's a, that's a kind of corruption. I, I, I make the analogy analogy to uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees said the right thing, but they didn't do it.
1: The Pharisees were the religious rulers of the time among the Jews.
2: They were the religious rulers and had the right platform. Right. They, they said the right things, but they weren't doing them. And Jesus castigated them and went after them full bore. So I, me as an activist Christian, I say, okay, my jo- my, if I want to work within the Republican Party, and I take that principle, I'd say my job is to attack hypocrisy and say you people should be doing what you say you're going to do. Okay? If I want to work inside the Democratic Party, I would say what you're saying you want to do is wrong and it needs to be done something that's right. And then at the end of the day, both parties come up with some candidate, and you have flawed candidate A and flawed candidate B, because they're both human. Right. And then you have to make a decision, which of these flawed candidates is most, is most going to do the least harm, are po- most likely to do good. And we as the people, what we should be doing is, is not trusting in any person, no matter what party they're in. What we should be doing as, as the population is making the path of least resistance for the politicians to do what is biblical, which is, which is to create a government that supports self-governance and love your neighbor. The maximum amount of opportunity for people to make choices to love their neighbor. So I think loyalty to a party, I, I don't see loyalty to a party as a, as a, as a biblical thing or wearing a, I mean, a, as a Christian thing or wearing a particular label. <clears throat> but on the other hand, uh, it's, it's easy to get duped by either party. Mm-hmm. And you absolutely don't want to do that. So you, you want to you be in a position where you say, yeah, I, in order to win my support, you guys have to actually do what you say. And you guys need to change what you're saying. And I think we can have that influence and have that impact without, without expressing loyalty to anyone but our head, which is Christ.
3: You know, in the, in the vein of not being duped or being weary of that, it reminds me of uh, this little group of people that Paul went to called the Bereans. Mm-hmm. And there's this great little verse in the New Testament where it says, the Bereans, after hearing what Paul had to say went and tested the scriptures for themselves. So they didn't just take like any narrative or any teaching kind of at face value, but they went into the scripture with, with an open heart, with an open mind to allow it to, to teach them what to do.
2: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, if you, if you look at like Romans 13, it says God appoints the authorities for every society. So while that's Okay, So wh- whoever the authority is, honor that authority. He did it for good that they might uh, dissuade evil and, and honor good. So that's the purpose of government. And that's written by the Apostle Paul who was uh, persecuted by Rome mm-hmm. and ultimately martyred by Rome. Right. Okay. Now he, he um, had multiple instances where he uh, did a lot of illegal things because they were against God. So this is in context. He's looking at things that are, um, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, always a hierarchy right. of, of morality. And ultimately we report to God. But governments and governments below that. But unless there's a direct contradiction, we want to we uh, honor and the authority of government. Well, who is that in America? It's us. It's we the people. He appointed us. And so, well, I'm one of 330 million people. What can I do? Answer: All you can. Your proper, pro, your proper role, your proper spot. So each of us has, I think, a responsibility to do that enough study to play the role that we're called to.
3: You know, I, going back to the, because we get this all the time about living in New York, like how could you be in a place like that? I would say going back to what we said before about. There's no place that we shouldn't, you know, go into. That uh-huh. Christ, I would even, I would go a step further and say this. There's no place that Christ isn't. And so the choice we have is to either uh, allow him to be ignored in a particular space or to engage with him and try to elevate the voice of Christ in a particular space.
2: And there's going to be places where if you do that, you're going to be kicked out. There's countries in this, in this world where that's the case. There are. You, you mentioned it earlier. There's social groups where right. that's the case, um, and there's certainly, uh, you know, in political arenas where they don't want anything to do with what, but, I mean, you do what you can.
1: Right. Some people would say that if you bring your politics or your religion to your politics, you're promoting a theocracy, right, that you want religious rule in America. What would you say to that?
2: Well, there's two, there's two ways to do life. One is the strong exploit the weak and the other is love your neighbors yourself and the strong, uh, protect and, and, and elevate, right? So a theocracy is when I use my religion as an excuse to power over you. Right. So that's just another, that's another form of strong man, strong, exploit the weak, nothing unusual about it. If you'll think about history, every strong man, always wants to be a god. right? You know, the Pharaoh became a god. Uh, the, the Sultan became the, the um, uh, what do they call it? Caliph. Right. Uh, the king became the head of the church. You know, it's... Caesar became a god. Caesar yeah. became a god. I mean, it, it's it, that... Why? Because I want the moral authority and of... Uh, the, I want the source of the moral authority and the actual moral authority to come to one place and then I can do whatever I want right. to. I have no bounds. I have no limits. So that's just another version of that. So but so I think it is something that people can do right. and it should be resisted. Right.
0: Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.